It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. With Jason and friends. It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, October 16th, and you're listening to an episode 594. As always, I am your host, Jason. Today, I'm joined once again by the person who's been here the most times ever, I feel like, and I love it, and that is Julio Nasario. Hello. Hey, hey, Jason. How's it going, man? It's going uh, It's going pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, working on stuff. How about you? Um, uh, As well. Um, So my in-laws are in town, Um, and I, I love them, so that's a good thing. Right, my wife right, right. is a professional photographer, so uh, we need the extra support and help uh, because fall is the craziest time for her. Mm-hmm, uh, so mm-hmm. with the kiddos, you know, having the extra set of hands, and they came from Puerto Rico, so it's it's nice to have them around. But Maybe that also like the kids came from like the kids they brought them from Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah, they're just special ordered. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, you know that also gives me a little time as well to you know you know spend on on game design. Um, and I've been going to the designer meetings here in Asheville. Um, oh, nice. And it's funny because, you know, I started that group with uh, another designer, uh, Kevin Newty. Um, and when we first started, you know, it was like the long well, like two years and we got like three, probably seven was the max that we ever got. Mm-hmm. And now since we're meeting at the Well-Played Board Game Cafe is it's essentially like 10 to 18 nice. people. Oh, that's every fantastic. Single and 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 the other thing, the best thing is that I don't have to manage it, right? So <laughs> it's like it's controlled where there's enough people that are you know part of the group. They are uh, regulars, right? So right. they can run the meetings. We've got at least seven people that are regulars, right? So That's they awesome. can run, and there's always somebody new because again, it's a board game cafe, so it lends itself to that, you know. Mm-hmm. So That's yeah. And and funny enough, the last one last Tuesday, um, they uh, a lot of people just didn't have things that they wanted to test, so mm-hmm. there was a lot of space to be testing things. And I brought up a game. It's called Shaolin Masters. I may have pitched it in the past, but um, I, I I I was like, I have it here, and I want to test it. And this is the game that play. It's a racing game that plays two to eight players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I played it. And I'm like, man, I gotta. I got to work on this game. And after getting that feedback, I'm, I'm pumped to keep working on it. But at the same time, I'm also developing a lot of my other stuff, you know, get mm-hmm. ready for packs and all that. So I'm excited. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Something I've got going on with games that I forgot to mention uh, at first. And I actually forgot to mention to you ahead of time too, is I got accepted to do my first ever speed pitch, which I've never done before. Oh. Um, I typically don't apply for speed pitches, um, for one, because I'm just, they're not my strong suit. And for two, like I've been doing this for a long time. Like I can usually set up meetings. Like I don't want to take up a speed pitch slot if I don't have to. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I love seeing newer designers get into those. Um, but, uh, Unpub is hosting an RPG speed pitch and I have an RPG and, Hey, that's a that's a part of design where it's a lot harder for me to know who to talk to. So yeah, I was like, yeah. I'll get into that. So you you are a newbie in that case. Yeah, right, for... exactly right. So, um, and so yeah, so I got into that. And uh, is this online or in person? Yep. Yeah, it's an online okay. thing. Uh, 
at the time of recording, it's already happened. Uh, so, um, yeah, but I, um, am pretty, uh, pretty stoked about it. It's going to be a good deal. Um, and, at, uh, at the yeah. time of the recording or at the time of the listening? At the time of happened. the listening. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I know it's this, uh, it happens. I think this Thursday time or travel. So I'm, I'm stoked about it. Uh, I'm a little nervous, but you know, I'm just pitching the one game, uh, build a fire, build it big, which is, uh, I can pitch that in 30 seconds. It's mm -hmm. real easy to pitch. So I want to do some practicing of that elevator speech with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then hoping to make a good connection with this. And then that way I can also uh, start talking to those publishers about some of my other games uh, that I've been working on that aren't quite cool. as far developed. So, yeah. So I'm pretty stoked about that because uh, it's good for me to do it too, just because it's a little out of my comfort zone. I mean, like, we do crazy pitches and stuff on here, but like, it's just not, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just different <laughs> when it's, I love it. You know, I love to it. Nine I, love, publishers. <laughs> I love the fast pace, uh, nature of it. And I, I, I especially love it in person. Um, like when, when I used to do them, when I first started, it was kind of having at least, you know, two games set up and then having the sell sheets on hand just in case. And whatever that time was two minutes, I would take advantage of it you know mm -hmm. show what i had and then of course obviously for you and you know this but you know make sure you do your research on the publishers and 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 they may be uh something that they do or if not then you have other rpgs mm -hmm. that you can bring out you know that's yeah. the yeah. flexibility of online pitching as well so mm -hmm. yeah so i'm uh i'm pretty excited about it but yeah that's me that's what i've got going on other than that it's just schoolwork 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 that's all i do anymore pretty much is schoolwork so, so how does that look like? How how long is is it going to take for you to finish school again? Um, three years. Uh, okay. probably each semester will be different. This semester is pretty heavy. I have three classes, which doesn't sound like a lot. I mean, I used to take like five in undergrad, but in grad yeah. school, three is is a larger number than you'd think. Uh, I'm going to do three again next semester. Then I'm going to take a semester off to hopefully go on a trip to Alaska with the family, oh. and then take one class over the course of the summer, and then dive back in in the fall trying to make sure that I'm getting all of my stuff in, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. of course, undergrad, you probably did not have a family and all the other responsibilities. True. Right. So yeah, it's true. I did not have a family. I mean, I had my wife, uh, we weren't married yet, but we were together, but no kids. Uh, we had a cat because he's pretty self-sufficient. So that was, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then also like, I mean, the difference though, this time is like, I don't have a full-time job that I'm doing all the time. Right. I mean, I can work on game stuff when I want, but other than that, everything else is pretty much on hold. So, um, so there's the balancing with that has been nice. Um, you know, there are some people I know in the classes that are, have full-time jobs and I'm just like, Whew, that's good for you. Like I'm impressed because it's <laughs> not me. Uh, I mean, granted they don't have kids. So, you know, or most of them don't though. Some of them yeah. do. And that's just, that's a lot. I'm, I'm impressed. So yeah. Well, it's it's always good to have a, you know, a partner that share the load, you know, that's sometimes there's there's definitely times where you some need it more than than the other and and you know, crisscrossing that way and supporting each other, that's always good, so. Exactly. And knowing <clears throat> when it, when when to ask for it, right? Right. And understanding yeah. each that can other. That'd be the hard part, eh? So. Now, going back to game design related, I did fail to mention that um so I, I got reached out by the publisher, uh, Indie Game Studios, Stronghold Games. That's the parent company of Stronghold Games. Uh -huh. They have my game, Dulce. Um, and that game came out late last year. Uh -huh. um, and and they said that the game is being put on Barnes & Noble. 
Um, hey, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 um, it's we'll see what happens. It's just they're they're putting a couple copies in in every store, I guess. But because I I search online and it's like, oh, it's available on all the Barnes and Nobles in a hundred mile radius from me. So that's pretty cool. So I went and checked it out and I did find it. So we'll see what happens there, you know, especially with a game that's at this point a year old. Um, so imagine, I don't imagine how that, those conversations went, but um, it's not, it's not new to, it's not old to Barnes and Noble people though. Right. So, right, right, right. Um, now uh, on, on that same parent company in the game studios, they also have indie games and cards, indie boards and cards. Right. Um, and they they have my game freehand, so this is kind of the first company that I've signed two games with, um, and and we just uh, Essing was this last weekend, mm-hmm. and I I guess they had a couple copies uh, of the game there because I saw right. a picture that was sent out and uh, and the game is looking pretty cool. The components they have like a little, I mean freehand. I've already talked about it, but it's kind of like a it's a party dexterity game where you're drawing mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. cubes you have this little pencil mm-hmm. that you're using these mini cubes to draw but they have these containers that are hexagonal containers for the for the pieces mm-hmm. um for your point scoring and that, that was pretty cool i did not know that they were going to do that and the game i think is going to be 25 dollars msrp which is okay yeah you yeah. know it's prime for for a party game and and mm-hmm. the amount of components on it it's it's quite a lot um so i imagine i i, I want to know how many what that print run looked like because obviously there's the quantity of scale there um the more copies you right. print the cheaper it is and, and that this, does that's seem like, like a good game for that yeah it's like a hundred cards and you know it's uh, three to six players so it's three pens uh six pens and there's 30 cubes per player so that's mm-hmm. 120 cubes so oh well we'll see i'll i'll, I'll update you all yeah. on that so that's pretty cool it's always cool. you know fun to have a new game and of course going to packs they'll probably be there and have it there so that'll be cool to see it too awesome awesome well hey you uh you brought an interesting topic that you said we're gonna just we're just gonna destroy it i'm excited about it. it's destroying this topic <laughs> you didn't yeah, say I, that but i just assume we usually do yeah i mean and you know i always like to bring out topics that are kind of outside the norm and this one we we probably touched a lot of of it in the past in different ways with different topics but this one specifically would be about how game design no i guess not game design but game designs in general um (laughs) can be good and how good in this industry these days for publishers is not good enough so Mm -hmm. how good games are not good enough um and again, it can be either both on the design side or the publication side, because from one side, it can be as a designer trying to pitch your game that's good, or as a publisher, publishing a game that's good. Um, right, right. And, and this comes from, you know, in the last, since the pandemic, in the last three years, uh, trying to pitch a lot of my games, as you all know, I have a lot of games that are in, in pitch ready state, right? And, and at this point, I can say pitch ready state is that it's a good game, you know, mm-hmm. um, and some whatever that scale looks like, some may be better than others for sure. And of course, the, the, depending on your audience as well. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's been very much more difficult than it used to be 
to you know get interest in games and it may it may also be like now when we're out, out you know on the other side of the pandemic mostly um people are more accustomed to getting back into pitching in person and honestly i think that's where i excel pitching in person but at the same mm -hmm. time i think that a lot of my games and i've talked about in the past need some more development um uh, and that can either be from myself you know as a designer to you know keep get, making them better or or as a publisher that would sign it and and do development um and we can talk a little about that latter one uh, or both um and and my thoughts on it but before i get into too into the weeds what do you think i think it's an interesting topic i mean you know i'm just i'm just trying to think this through and the fact that like when you say like you know you can have a great game and you're not going to find a person for it to buy it right or you know you can have a great game and it's just not good enough for you know publishers once they put it out there it doesn't do well but like there are still a lot of games coming out that aren't great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, I mean, I, we can say there are games out there coming out that are not good. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're really in that's, I mean, obviously that's subjective, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean, there are, there are certainly, we all see games come out where, you know, especially games that are, you know, out there to make a quick buck. Right. Um, we see games like that. I think at conventions and things like that are on Kickstarter and a lot of those games, if they're not, you know, solid, I mean, it, I guess it depends on what they have as to what, whether or not they do well. Right. Like as in, what do they have that attracts people that can make a game not good enough, but appear good enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the, you know, the, the veil of, of Kickstarter sometimes, because I always wonder, and, and as designers, y'all have probably seen this, but Facebook just blasts you with, Oh my gosh, with, uh, nonstop. Kickstarters, because obviously they know the algorithm, what you like and all that, but there's a lot of Kickstarters from first time people that are actually doing, at least from the outside, you know, they're doing really good. Mm -hmm. Like from our side, any game that goes over a hundred thousand, is you know is a success of course that's well, a monetary value for i, think, a... I was Sorry, saying, i think the idea to say it's potentially a success right i yeah, mean right 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 some of these are so mismanaged that you mm -hmm. know they're not a success because they end up not printing the game or they print the game and it doesn't sell you know what i mean beyond the original kickstarter or it doesn't live up to expectations because yeah because again cash grabs i, I think the facebook thing is interesting to point out that because i get 10 of those a day and i think maybe one time out of the probably 100 i've ever seen have they ever showed me a game that i had any interest in so the algorithm is not perfect <laughs> because it is widely available the types of games i'm interested in based on my search history based on my kickstarter history uh and that is not what they're advertising to me but, even a little but bit that's the thing right they from facebook's perspective they don't care about if you're gonna buy or not they just want you to click on it and they can say somebody clicked on it and oh yeah as somebody saying, being a designer you want to look right. at it what is going on here i want to take a look at it you know? if i have a rule man because i know that algorithm like if they're bad i won't give them a click because i'm not gonna make the algorithm think i gave a crap about it right yeah, yeah, but uh, like you said, and, and I was going to get into that, right? Ultimately, what happens to that Kickstarter, especially if the person doesn't have that experience, 
to work on it and they don't know what they're getting into. But the people that have that experience and know what they're getting into sometimes struggle, you know, to get their, their game, whatever, if it's good or great, uh, to, you know, higher than, than the 40 or 50,000, you know, above that, that uh, uh, initial goal. But, you know, we're, that's not what we're talking about, right? So um, at that point, you know, that, that may be another topic. But going back to the original uh, point, so when and, – and, and we can have the other, the other side of things. When you have a game that people say is not good or you get a lot of rejection. So, for example, I know that Elizabeth Hargrave has talked about this in, in podcasts and stuff. But she probably – I think she pitched – wingspan or i guess her original version of the game like 10 or 15 times before it got picked up of course when i know that jamie stegmeyer uh, uh ceo of stonemeyer games uh he worked with her a lot on that development before they signed it or after something along those lines and again that's key right there, there, there was that vision that he saw it and he said it could be something good. And that's for, you know, a lot of people can think that and nothing comes out of it. But you could see that she, she never gave up on it. You know, she, she mm-hmm. wanted to pitch something that she enjoyed. And that's the other thing, right? What is your objective? What is your objective with the game? What is your goal? Um, right. Do you just want to have fun and enjoy the game with your friends? Then good is great enough for you. Um. <laughs> right, right. Well, and you know the other thing. I mean, we've got when when a game comes out, right, and it does really well. Um, whether or not it's it's good, you know, I, I I think you can have. I just think there are so many factors that go into the success of a game, and you know, just it being good or great is not enough for true success right like when a game comes out there's like a certain amount of like Mm -hmm. you know whirlwind that has to get caught up in right because you know look at a game like elizabeth let's use elizabeth an example since you brought it up you've got wingspan which has sold well over a million copies um maybe two million copies at this point i'm not sure but it's it's a lot i know it's over a million um and then you've got a game like mariposas right also designed by elizabeth also by a big company. Have you heard of that game, Mary Posas? Yeah, that's that's an AAG one. You know, yeah. but I'm obviously a you know as a designer, you know, you kind of keep up with that stuff. Um, right, but right. yeah, I, I mean, agree with so you. I mean, it's got four point seven k rating. So okay, so maybe I'm wrong here. I'm gonna pull the wingspan. <laughs> I want to see the difference between oh, so, well. the two. <laughs> I'm just curious. And wingspan has eighty four thousand ratings. So. At a success level, um, but I mean, we're talking about board game geek popularity, which is not indicative of what popularity really is. Especially when you're talking about Wingspan mm-hmm. selling two million copies and only having eighty four thousand ratings. You know, right, right, right. I, I just was like, you know, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, or there was that also that game. I think it went on Kickstarter, the Fox game, the Fox Experiment. Yeah, yeah, that's like Pandasaurus. Yep. Uh, I'm just curious, like how I think well... it just got released. It just got released. I think they were at Essen. Okay, but did was it on Kickstarter? Yes, it was. Okay, I was trying to see. Oh, there it is, the Fox experiment. I was curious how funded that was. So that 
was 686,000. So uh, not too shabby. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I see uh, maybe it's not making your point, but uh, it's not. But I mean, wh- what I'm saying is like any of those games. So still, you look at both those games, Mary Postas and the Fox Experiment compared to Wingspan. Which one is which ones are better, right? It's it's subjective, right? But like one of them of those three, one of them, I, I would argue that two of those games are being sold more copies partially just because her name is attached to it now, right? Yeah. Because of Wingspan. Yeah. So like, is and- Wingspan a great game? A lot of people think so. I think it's a great game. Uh, but I think that it takes more than a game being great to make a game super successful. Yeah, and of course we can talk about you know the whatever marketing was behind it, and again the assisting company because as I said, Stonemaier Games had already some some success with you know Scythe and and a lot of other games, uh, Viticulture and all that. But uh, we it, it, as a as an example, you know we can use definitely Stonemaier because they've released games um after wingspan they have not been successful and, and that you know i know pendulum okay, yeah. was one like it was like a real-time kind of uh game that they released and and that one did not have uh, as much success as any of the games maybe their next successful one but i'm not sure but you I know, literally never point, heard of that <laughs> um yeah that was you know and, but see that's that's kind of the point there right yeah so, Every single company that we say is a big company or, or medium size have had their failures. So it, it, to your point, it's, it's, you know, catching that lightning in a bottle where you have whatever we, we can call it the trifecta with, you know, great game, right time and, you know, right, you know, luck. Maybe that's the third, the third thing, right? Mm-hmm. Great, great game or at right time and luck or something, or luck is just part of all three parts of the trifecta, but at least having a great game and, and great people behind it as well. Um, because um, I know that, and we keep talking about Somire, but you know, I know Jamie is a great person to, you know, with his uh, audience, like he's, he had he He's meets with them once a with week. Audience. Yeah, it's super engaged. Okay. Um, but and, and that's the thing. Like, of course, at that point, you know, Elizabeth. Uh, once she had that success with her first published game, it, it definitely. I I wouldn't say it. It definitely made it easier for her to approach other companies with her other games. Of course, she's already proven that she is not a one shot wonder, right? You know, she's had right, other right. games that are. On on right. a on a good great or good level as well, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but then on our side, right where uh, anybody that hasn't had a game uh, published, we have to push through that wall of not being known, so we don't have the you know the our existing audience behind us, and of course that's very board game geek wise because for a game to be super successful, you have to get outside your the board game geek crowd, right? which is just a small niche of the whole world industry of board games and mass market and all that. Um, so so h- how do you do that? Because obviously the first thing that comes to mind to us is let's let's reach out to a publisher that, that has already an existing huge audience or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have people like uh, Flat Out Games that did uh, Cascadia and Calico and Verdant and... They they consistently and they're like a collective of designers that they work oh, together, yeah. kind of thing. 
and of course they're they're they have a publishing agreement with AEG, so they co-publish, um, and they have released exceptionally great games. Right, right. I so one point I do want to the string I want to pull out here that I think is important is, you know, you were saying yes when like you have a hit like Wingspan, your life gets easier when it comes to showing other people games, right? Like right. when you say I designed Wingspan, it's not hard to get an audience with most companies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. That said, like, so you're saying like a new designer who doesn't have those connections. Yeah. Like, I think you do need a super great game to, um, you do need a super great game to get in front of, you know, uh, to get picked right over the course of, uh, you know, over the, um, over the more established people. Right. And I think that is where having your really good game is really helpful because you're always going to have the people that are willing to work with you because of your name, right? Yeah, and at this point, <laughs> anything that's below on the on the bad scale, you know, let's just call it from one to ten, you know, five or below, it's either you know somebody that has self published a game and they may not not have known what they were doing and it was just not a good game, or somebody that you know, had money and we've talked about this, right? How do you get into publishing? You know, start with a lot of how do you money, make money, yeah. right? How do you make money? You start with a lot of money. And right? then you'll make a little uh, money. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that there's that part. People that just didn't know what they were doing and, and they you know, either for a company or something like that. They had never gone into board games. Oh, board games are a thing. Let's try to do one. Um and then there's that third one, um, and which is, you know, established designers that have you know either signed the game with a company because that they they could uh and then it wasn't a good game um and i think that's mm-hmm. the other part that i mentioned uh, at the start of the conversation is that how much time are you willing to put into your good game to try right. and get over that threshold to make it great because it's not gonna mean that it's gonna be great of course and even being good is something that's subjective as well because you mm-hmm. think it's good but some other people may not and and always think about the audience uh but then finding a company that is willing to do that development with you and that you're willing to work with them on on doing that development because it's a lot of work and you 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 think that once you sign a game you're golden and you just have to wait and, and some publishers are like that but a lot of them, especially, you know, the ones that do want to do some uh, development, um, they may have you involved in, mm-hmm. in just, you mm-hmm. know, seeing how things are going. And, and we've seen how that has gone in multiple ways. It can go the completely opposite direction. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, as well. So not just because a, a company is willing to do the development doesn't mean that it's going to be an, a good or great end result there. So. Oh, no, not at all. Um. <laughs> So I think something I want to point out, though, that you said along there is, you know, are you willing to put the time in to make your good game great, right? Um, And obviously, there are no guarantees. You make your game great, Mm -hmm. nobody might buy it, you know, no publisher, no audience, whatever. But the one thing I I want to point out on that as a caution is, but you have to decide not just if you're willing to put the time in, but if the time is worth it for that game, right? And that... That takes experience to understand if that's the case or not. I think I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I agree. But on the other side, I'm also thinking: Am I gonna 
be willing to take this game out there if I know it's not it's not good enough, you know, or, or it's not great, right? Because of course, if a game is is fun for you and and ten other people, is it gonna what's it gonna be for for the rest of the world, right? So it's always that question and that that you always think that you could have that lightning in the bottle, mm-hmm. um, and 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 something good may happen, and it's usually not the case, you know. Um, I want to be clear. I wasn't suggesting like run around and pitch your game that's just good enough. I was saying decide whether or not that game is something you should continue working on was the big thing, right? I think there are some games where you're like, you know what? This isn't perfect. It could use some development, but it's got something to it that makes it worth showing off and seeing if people would be interested. That I think is cool. Um, But yeah, if you're like, this game's just all right, I'm just going to show it to a bunch of people and hope somebody wants it. Then you're just wasting your time and their time. And I think that if you don't believe in the game, is good enough to to get somebody to buy it, then that's not cool, right? You could be wrong. Like, you could be like, oh, this game is great, and it's not, right? I think we've all been wrong about that about our yeah. designs at some point. Now, going back to your original question, is it worth it? It's a really hard question to answer because mm-hmm. if you sign it, whatever those terms are going to be may not benefit you ultimately, right? Because... Like let's let's be honest, right? So you know, publishing agreements at this point, royalty wise, you know, we're talking about you know five to nine percent, where you know nine percent is definitely on the best case, well known, yeah. best case scenario kind of thing. Um, yeah, this is it can be either wholesale price or you know profit or whatever that is, but you don't know if it's going to be worth it because it only you only know after the fact, right? Right, and and. And so far, you know, it, it's because there's not a lot of a six, not success, but there are so many games coming out and only a fraction of them get success. That's just a numbers game, right? Mm-hmm. If only, mm-hmm. you know, 2% of the games coming out a year, you know, sell over 10,000 copies uh, and only 0.5% or 0.1% turns into a evergreen game, you know, at that point, <laughs> are you playing the lottery, right? So, but I mean, that to me then says, cause you know, in the last episode, Jamie and I, we were talking about stuff. And one of the things that came up was they said, you know, I want to be involved in development. And I said, for me, I used to be that way. But now if a publisher says, Hey, we're going to develop this. Do you want to help develop it? A lot of times I could take it or leave it. I, I, this is why, because I want my game to be good. I want it to get out there uh, and be the best that it can be. But A, I may not be the person to make it the best it can be. B, if I make it the best it can be, right, and it truly was me that it needed for that, then I, I want to do it. But the question you have to ask him is, you said it's a numbers game, right? The chances that it's lightning in a bottle and it's going to do super well are lower, right, than, um, than, you know, than you want them to be. Realistically, those numbers are pretty, pretty low. Um, and and to be honest, uh, and I'm going to share a personal experience here, um, like if it is a game like Wingspan where only some people saw, you know, I, I only say some people people because I don't know the, the, the inner workings of what happened, but not everybody saw the potential of it. Um, so it was, you know, a, a diamond in the rough, whatever that is. Um, but then for my game Control, when I signed that game, I definitely felt different. 
because I had so many people approaching me about how much they liked the game when it was just in design stage uh, and publishers talking to me about it after I signed it uh, because, you know, the game was signed by Pandasaurus and then consequently the, the game was brought to the gathering of friends and, you know, there's a lot of industry people there and people were reaching out to me saying, hey, I played Control, game's awesome, you know, looking forward to playing it when it comes out and stuff like that. So... At the very least, I, I was super excited about that one because it, it felt different from all the others. Uh, and at that point, I had signed a couple of games. I, and ultimately, that's as we had talked in, about you know our uh, profit in the past, that's the game that's made me the most money, which ultimately is the most successful one, right? Um, and I felt it before, you know, before the game even came out. Because a lot of people were playing it, a lot of people were giving me mm-hmm. feedback and reaching out about how much they liked it. Uh, ultimately, you know, the game was not the best product, and and that may be something that take it or leave it there. But it is still, I, I still saw that ch- that difference, and I haven't had anything like that since. You know, mm-hmm. so so, and of course, none of the games have been as successful as Control. So at the very least, I know that there's that, um, that uh, once the game is signed and people start playing it because the games for development reasons or, or just play testing for the publisher, uh, word gets out there. Um, and if the publisher sees that spark and people just keep asking to play and stuff like that, we know that we know that that is something that can happen. And it has right. happened a couple of times with some certain people that they just say, Hey, I want to play this game again. But, for you to have every single person that plays the game, or at least more than fifty percent of them, say the same, how 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 often does has that happened in our design career, right? Well, I mean, I think I could give a similar example that went the other way. I'm not going to say names of games and stuff, but <clears throat> uh, and hopefully I'm not. I'm just going to go with it. You know, I I had a game um, that I worked on with someone, and that game um had that magic with the playtesting everybody that playtested it oh my gosh this is fantastic took a while to find the right publisher for it finally found the right publisher for it um and it despite the fact that through that entire process it was all positive right and there was still great feedback everyone that played it had positive things to say since it came out Everyone that had played it, you know, when it came back, when it came out, a lot of people played it and got, oh my gosh, this is so great. Love this. And then it went and underperformed. So, right. I mean, like, you know, and, uh, and that's frustrating. I mean, that's hard because you like you, I think the thing that's so tough about it is like you said, you don't get that a lot of times in your career and you can feel it. Right. And then when it doesn't go how you were hoping, Mm-hmm. I think that just puts you in a bad headspace for like, well, what's the point of having something great if, you know, it's not going to do well. But I, I have to remind myself that it's not like my success isn't, isn't defined by selling a bunch of copies of games, right? Like yeah. that's a nice bonus, but that's not you. you If you use that as a barometer for success, you will be bummed out a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, for pretty much every game you publish, except for maybe that one that might might go gangbusters, right? 
Yeah, and and at that point, it's definitely having a headspace where you are willing to, you know, brush things off, and you can only do that so much before it gets to you, right? Um, mm -hmm. now, now it is interesting because let's say you do have a great game and you have people just just raving about it and wanting to play it and stuff like that. Now, there's the problem where this is a fairly new game and you haven't even pitched it yet. Um, and then the first publisher that you are interested in pitching, and maybe they're not your first pick, or, but they're the first one that are you're pitching it to, they love it and they want to sign it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had that happen to me a couple times now. Um, and it is a hard position to be in because you know this game is is has a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. Do you do you still want to go ahead and and pitch it some more because we don't get that a lot where somebody wants to sign it and 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 then okay, so can I just say no and go ahead and then oh, you right what is it uh it's better to bird on on hand than two on the bush or whatever. Yeah, right, 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 right. So so that's definitely something that that has happened to me, um, and and sadly, you know, not sadly, but um, logically, I've always taken the first one that that you know the, the that first publisher because mm -hmm. there were ones that they weren't my first choice, but still, it was a, a good enough publisher, right? So that's right, the, right. <laughs> Well, yeah, and that, the coin there. that comes right back to what you said earlier in the very beginning of this is you have to know what you want for the game and what your expectations are. You know what I would say? What what you need the game to do to feel like it was worthwhile. Right. And if that is uh, if that is to sell a bunch of copies, then you, you got to think long and hard about how you're going to get that out there. But if it's that the game is out there and it's fun or it's just out there, right? Like, I mean, theoretically fun, right? But, you know, just want to get more stuff out there. Yeah. Then that, if that's going to be your barometer for success and for what makes you happy for that game, great. But if that's the case, then you you still want to make a great game, right? Because you want people to have fun. You want people to enjoy it. You want to be proud of what you put out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, again, going back to the, your goal, right? What is your goal for this game? If you just want to mm -hmm. be proud of that game when it comes out, then then that should be enough. But people don't work that way. You know, our minds don't right, work that right. way, right? So you think you want something, and then when things happen, it's it's very hard to to sometimes justify what your original goal was once you see when you get there. Um, and that's just you know, I, and and it, it depends on different people. I'm not gonna talk right, for right. everybody, right? But personally, that's been my experience. Um, and, you know, because and, and you know, uh, uh, I guess I, uh, the, the builders out there will will see what success means for a lot of people um, yeah. in the future. Indeed for they sure. will. Indeed they um, will. So so that's that's going to be fun. And that obviously changes. And we've talked about that uh, in the in the past. But ultimately, Again, if you have a good game that you enjoy and you think it can be better, then then you should at least try to make it better. Um, yes. How does that look like, though? Um, I did want to get into the design part of that as well. We, you know, we, we still have a little time. And I'm, yeah, I, yeah, let's I, do I, it. So, uh, what, as I said, I've been doing a lot of development on, on my existing games. At this point, I'm working on f five different development 
of, of different games. And one that um, I've had for the longest time was EMW3. I've talked about that oh, in yeah. the past. I've played that, that one it, before. Super fun. Yes. Yes. So, right? It's it's a good game. Um, now, it's a 50. For those that you know are fairly new to the podcast, this is a 54-tile laying game. Two to four players. All tiles have the same shape. And the same of a W, M, 3, or E. They're all the same shape. It's just the directional perspective of that tile that matters. So that's, there's a hook to it. Um, and essentially, the game just had the 54 tiles, and that was it. Um, and, you know, the active player would choose the, the letter or, or whatever position they would place, and everybody would do the same. You're trying to make longest blue, red, yellow lines and enclosures. It's a very mm-hmm. spatial game abstract. Now... Um, how do I make that good game better? Because it's, especially abstracts are very hard uh, to, to get out there. Um, there's some specialized publishers that go for them, you know, but there's, they're, they're very hard. Um, so I'm like, one of the first things that comes to mind, adding a little more variability uh, to the game, um, whatever that looks like. In this case, what I've done is I created some, some additional rules cards uh essentially Ooh, okay. the original four rules are again make it the longest blue longest red longest yellow line and then the enclosures you get points for those now what i'm trying to you know i'm gonna try out for this game uh i'm gonna have uh, uh, uh i think at this point i have 12 rule cards uh and you always put the longest blue red and yellow as base and then add three more um and what i have right now i have like the the widest the biggest play area with by length the smallest play area with by length and that's because this is just squares kind of thing uh so trying to constrict yourself or expand your your as you're still doing the other objectives um i also have the longest straight line because the lines that i've talked about can be snaked um Mm -hmm. and also the shapes that you're making in your negative space those enclosures uh trying to make shapes that way and instead of oh, assigning, I like that. That's right, interesting. Right? So instead of assigning uh, certain points for these things, I am applying uh, a player, um, I guess the number of players, and you get points that way. So essentially, however many players you beat in each objective, you get one point. Simple oh, okay, as that. Yeah. So if you're just playing against one player, every every objective that you beat them on, you get one point. Um, and But if you're playing against three others you're trying to be the best there, then you can get up to three points for each objective. Um, so this essentially brought up, you know, 12 extra cards for the objectives. And then I'll probably have some tokens for the little points that you're getting. Um, mm-hmm. Because the original one, you, you essentially counted the points in your head, which was easy because it was very multiplayer solitaire. So, you know, that's just an example. And I kind of went into, you know, pitching the game essentially, but, but that's one thing, very adding variability uh, to your design, uh, whatever that looks like. Uh, but you want to make sure that if it's a good game, that it doesn't get too samey. Um, and the mm-hmm. next time somebody plays, they can you know slide some, have some sliders that they can work, play around with, and make it either harder, make it easier. That's another one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and add more objectives, less objectives. Uh, or or even expanding your your the way if you have more players that may even shift the way you play the game as well that's something that it's a little harder 
but that's just a couple ideas. You have anything? In general or for that game? <laughs> Probably no, in no, general. No, no. <laughs> yeah, in general. That's what I mean. That's what I mean on, on trying to make a good game great. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh. I'm just kind of blanking out. I don't feel like yeah, I don't know how to make a good game great. I put you on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I mean, the spot there. Sorry. I think that, you know, I mean, my advice to anyone to make a good game great is always going or just to make a good game, whatever right, is always to really look at the core loop of your game and what is that doing, mm-hmm. and is that fun, and then to build from there, but to always keep in mind, as Matt Riddle would tell you, where's where's the fun, right? right. Um, and that real refining of that as you move through, right? So if I, as I build up the game, I continue to ask myself that question, where's the fun at? Is that the, you know, is am I covering that still? Um, and if you're losing that, uh, then you need to pull back to that because you can have a game that's crazy fun and not great um, based on a lot of the things you just said, right? Replayability, uh, variation, all of those things, right? Can make it not great. Um, even though it's like as a one shot thing, oh, it's brilliant, super fun, but now I don't want to play it again, right? <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, and 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 to your point, I think ultimately you want to make sure that your your players are always involved you know they're they they are even if it's not their turn turned or thinking about the game you know once the player checks out during gameplay you you may have lost them for the rest of of mm-hmm. any future plays you true know? it's true yeah yeah you want to make sure that you know they're they're like thinking about the game before their their turn after their turn and after the the end the game because they want to think of how they can do better if they lost or win or i want to try a different strategy and stuff like that yeah so multiple paths to victory is always one that's interesting of course this obviously depends mm-hmm. on the type of game that you're designing um again um so there's this something that we can definitely talk about more uh, in the future um but that's just at least a, a, a couple of things you know even making sure that your game doesn't overstay its welcome it can be a great oh, game, but if the game yes. is too long, <laughs> you can you can lose people there. Especially when you got that core loop that's you know snappy. If you're doing the same core yes. loop too many times and you have achieved everything that the game has to offer from the get go, then you don't want to you know do that. That is that is one of the best pieces of advice. Um, you know, in fact, I, I would argue that like try to make your game too short, right? Like when you're like when you play <laughs> yeah. it, have the people say like. You know, you always want people to say, oh, if I just had one more turn, but like right. design it so that afterwards you're like, yeah, no, I actually should add one more turn because they wanted, you know what I mean? Because I've played those games where you're like, this is really fun. I need more out of this game time wise. Right. But generally, generally, the feedback is almost always this. This should have stopped early um, or started later. Right. I think a lot of people forget that that's an option. Right. They're right. like, oh, the game's got to get out, you know, before it gets boring. The game also needs to start after it's not boring. You know, the, the old <laughs> advice of if your game starts on turn three, start your game on turn three, um, which is to say that if you always would do the same first steps right mm-hmm. on on your on your game, then then just do that. Now, that said, I think if you look at like competitive games like Magic or something like that, right? Like you generally are doing the, the same thing on the first couple turns, but that is different, right? 
We're talking right. about like a, a board game where you are, okay, on the first turn, I have these choices of actions, but the only one that I will ever choose is this one. Then, then really, maybe just fast forward a turn or two, start everybody with that thing and move from there, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and of course, we're talking about at this point mainly uh, how for, for published games. But now as designers, how do we want our games to stand out? And this is obviously we've talked about a lot in the past. But one thing that never fails to work for me is the hook, right? Yes. Make sure that your game has a hook that people say, oh, that's interesting. Um, again, for Emwe, as I said, you know, the, the one tile shape, depending on the di directional perspective, that's, that's my hook for that game. It, mm -hmm. It's simple, but people, you know, I, I don't think it's been done before because obviously I would know because it's pretty straightforward there, but, <laughs> right. um, but, but it is something that can help you sell your game or at the very least get a publisher interested in following up on it. They at least want to play it and make sure that that what you're selling uh, is delivering. Yeah. A hook cannot agree more with that is so important to making people want to see your game. And it does, it gets publishers excited about it, but it also gets consumers excited about it. Right. When they're deciding what game to back or what game to buy that interesting hook um, supported by interesting artwork and good gameplay will get them to, to play it and keep coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a couple of things, you know, about good games to be great, either on the designer side or publisher side. If if I know that uh, if if you all have any comments or additional uh, thoughts on it, make sure to go to our Discord and 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 drop us a a, a, a hint there. Yeah, yeah, by all means, give us your opinions on the show feedback channel. Tell us what we missed, uh, for sure. Um. Awesome. Well, so you you kind of already pitched the game. Were you going to pitch something else, or are we good with what you pitched? Um, I mean, I've already pitched one, but yeah. again, since since it, it is a game that I've already pitched in the past, I'm just gonna do another one. And since I mentioned Shaw sure. Masters, um, because yeah. that one I I may have pitched it, but I don't, it's been so I don't think you did. I'll know based on I, the name does not sound familiar, but the we'll see if the if the mechanics do, <laughs> or if maybe I was um, sleeping on the job that day. So this is actually a co-design with one of the our earlier uh, GD of NC Astral folks. I don't think he does design anymore. So, but I'm still excited about the game. So if if I sign it, you know, I'll have a co-designer that hasn't worked on it in a while. But that's fine for me. I enjoy the game. So and in Shallon Masters, and the reason why I call this one, I put in the theme. Um, if if you're ever play, uh, you know, watch Disney their early Disney Channel. There's a, a show called Shaolin Showdown. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was essentially kind of treasures that give you powers and you fight for these treasures and, and wager them. It was it was really fun. Uh, but anyway, I, I that's kind of where original theme came from. But essentially, this is a racing game where you have uh, it's a modular board. You mm -hmm. have just square tiles and each tile is a three by three grid. Okay. Um, depending on the number of players, as I said earlier, it's two to eight players. Uh, you would have a card that shows the map that you'd be using. So every player account has at least two uh, variations of the map. That would essentially what the map does is constricting the gameplay. So when it's two players, you know you have you interact a little more often than it would be with eight players, right? Mm -hmm. Um. So that that that's one thing that's definitely interesting. 
Uh, of course, it's the two to eight player uh, count because it is a simultaneous play game. Um, you essentially uh, are using cards that uh, do. If you ever played Onitama, uh, you're moving. Yeah, yeah. You're moving like those you know, Onitama cards. Essentially, you have a grid. Your movement card has a grid, and it shows you where you start on the grid and where you end. And mm-hmm. that's your movement card. So everybody has nine of these, uh, but you have like a deck. So you only have four of them uh, and everybody places them face down and then reveal and they move their pawns. And of course, your pawns on the way of this race, you're trying to collect treasures that will hinder your movement because it doesn't give you those movement cards, especially when you have a limit of four, but it will mm-hmm. give you powers that you will use to either, you know, move better, attack your opponent, protect yourself and stuff like that. Um, and ultimately trying to get a grand treasure. And the, these grand treasures are that these, they're just kind of rule breaking, uh, things like, oh, you can draw from your discard pile and your face up oh, uh, nice, and your deck, nice. you know, yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and, and essentially once the, these grand treasures are collected, the board, these tiles that the board is made of will flip. And mm-hmm. the opposite side have less standing space because there's this negative space that if you fall, you you destroy your cards. And essentially, you win by having the most points in your cards. And if you destroy them, you obviously lose points. Right, um, right, right. And this map, map card determines uh, the turn structure of how these tiles are destroyed. So once they're flipped, there's a timer. There's like seven turns and the game is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the map essentially starts uh, destroying itself, like collapsing as you're trying to race away from the, you're basically racing like in the mountains or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and then once you, everybody gets back um, and there's no player elimination on it, then you count out all your points in your deck and whoever has the most wins. Um, but this one, uh, essentially I tested it with seven players the other day and there were some things. Oh, wow. With, nice. Wait yeah, yeah. Right. Play your play test in. I know you said <laughs> right? placed eight, but it's impressive to get that play test in, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've played it at eight early on, and it was like a s- small board too, so it worked out okay. But it definitely has some pacing issues, especially because there is some fighting in the game that's pretty straightforward. But I want to make it a little more snappier. I want to make it mm-hmm. uh, faster because it is a racing game, right? You want to make moving. it great. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, so yes, I definitely do. Um, so uh, essentially the, the hook of this one is it's got a couple of things, right? So, but the one that I really like is the map, how, you know, you're accustomed to this way of the map is. And then once it flips is you set, it starts collapsing. You have to race back, mm-hmm. get that urgency. And then there's still treasures that you can collect that are stronger. Um, so that one is one that, again, I started with somebody else, and it's one of those co-designs that I always have in my mind because mm-hmm. I have not designed a game like that since, especially because I do not do games with a lot of text on them. And this is probably the the game, one of the, the games with the most text that I've designed or been involved in designing. So It's a co-design. You can just blame your co-designer for it, right? <laughs> not yeah, my fault. Yeah. It's their fault. Yeah, so I'll I'll have that one uh, at, at packs with a lot of my other. I also have my Rise a Rise game, the Necromancer game that I've also developing, and Emui and and then the uh, Dice Islands, which is one of the later ones that I've designed. Um, mm-hmm. So 
of course, all this means that I'm having to update rules. <laughs> so the I'll make best sure to... part of game design. <laughs> yeah, I'll just make sure to have enough time to to do that because honestly, like everything, once you start, it's not really that difficult. Especially right, since you, right. I already have one rule book for each of these games, except the uh, the Dice Islands one. That one, yeah. Uh, I you know I find that updating rule books really doesn't bother me. It's the initial writing that I'm not a big fan of because yeah, it's just so much at once going through and updating it. It's really not that bad. Um, unless I've made pictures for it and I have to update those and then I get real grumpy about it because it's just a pain. <laughs> you either have to yeah. take more pictures or draw different, you know, do different things and it's a pain. Well, what I, what I don't like about the Shaolin masters one is that I did not do the original rule book. So um, the format is not what I'm used to. So I, I, I don't know. I may ultimately just redo it, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Well, I hope, I hope you, uh, have good luck with that. And I hope that it's great. Super great. Great. All the greatness. And then we, may I say maybe excellent. That's the one that we never mentioned in the podcast, but that the games can also be excellent. They can be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners. Well, I hope you enjoyed our discussion. Like Julio said, please come and uh, tell us uh, what's up and what you think about these in our Discord. To do that, you can go to buildinggamepodcast.com. There you can find a link to our Discord. You can also just email us with your feedback. I, I'm just going to say respond and say join the Discord. But you can still email us with questions and feedback at buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can keep coming back every single week. But until next time, good night. Buenas noches. Building the game, building the game, with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game, with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.